Hello. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Welcome all. It is Wednesday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and I am definitely not in Florida. No, Peter's in Vegas. Viva Las Vegas, man. Well, if you could have, been, could have played the game a little bit longer and saying, hey, why is it so light outside where I am? Well, it's 543 where I am, not 843. So a lot of very interesting things that we were going to talk about. And I, I don't necessarily have a preferential order. Well, I mean, I think we start with the obvious one. Uh, president Biden says he's running for president again. Not a surprise, even though he said he was going to be a one term president. Um you know, you got to wonder if the GOP would even use something like that in a campaign attack ad saying, like, I will be a one term president. That's it. Now I'm running again. And it doesn't seem like a lot of people are really as enthusiastic as they're pretending to be that Joe is running again. How do you see it? Um, I see it as it doesn't really matter what Joe does. He can't. I don't think that there's anything that they can do or he can say like he's it's not going anywhere. So I, I, it's hard for me to pay too much attention to this, quite honestly. And, you know, I think it's high double K. And, you know, I think that it's all so silly because it's it, it really doesn't matter what the Democrats do They're At this point, I honestly think it's just unsalvageable for them, barring, uh, you know, something crazy like, a, you know, major asteroid hitting Earth or, you know, a pandemic or something like that, because he barely won last time with the and because of the pandemic. And he has done absolutely nothing to at least appeal to the people that held their noses and voted for him, such as me. Well, there is very little surprise, <laughs> I think, in many respects that Joe is running again um, for obvious reasons. Um, politicians lie all the time. And one saying that, well, the old joke is, how do you know a, a, a politician is lying, their lips are moving. And so in the case of President Biden, he said he's going to be running for president again, even though he assured everyone that he was only going to be a one-term president. Now, one would have to ask, you know, what is the likelihood that, you know, him running is going to be of any real benefit? Um, how is that going to unfold as far as, you know? I think he's a thousand percent accurate. He absolutely is going to be a one-term president. I think that that's extremely prophetic. So the fact that he's running again actually isn't counter to his original statement of him being a one-term president. They actually, it, given the circumstances, it makes sense that we're having both of those things. This is the headline from The New Yorker for The Intelligencer. Old beats crazy Biden was always going to run again. And a longtime advisor explains how he might argue that age is but a number. Listen. I I think there there's something to be said for how overblown things can get at times when people allude to this idea that the president is old. Yes, he's old. That's not the problem. What the problem is, is that he's old and borderline and firm. He well, has a serious problem. Is- he's in serious cognitive decline. And to deny that that is the case is to just – be a good, loyal foot soldier for the Democratic establishment. I, I got to tell you, him being old and even him being of cognitive decline are actually at the really bottom end of the reasons why I don't like him. Let's say he was, let's say it was Bernie 
and Bernie was sitting there and he was doing all these awesome things and he was pardoning and commuting nonviolent drug offenders and he was doing all this stuff and he was helping labor and all this stuff. And we knew he was suffering from some cognitive decline as he got older. That wouldn't necessarily keep me from supporting him. So I'm just saying like the cognitive decline to me, even though, yeah, it's not great. That's not really the top of my problems with Joe. Yeah, this whole article, and again, this is in the Intelligencer of the New Yorker, uh, I I think, uh, of of New York Magazine, excuse me. Uh, About a year ago, when Joe Biden's approval rating was dipping to dangerous lows and whispers about a one-term presidency were more or less inescapable in and around D.C., they still are. That hasn't changed. Sure. And then, of course, he says, sure, he's already the oldest president ever, but all this commentary misunderstood the size of the chip of his shoulder on his shoulder, and the fact that he's been talking about running for president since the early 70s. Yeah, you mean since he's been in the U.S. Senate? 36 years he was in the U.S. Senate, and then proceeds to just, you know, continue, continue and continue. Running for president, became Obama's VP. If he had run in 16, who knows how that would have shaken up the race between Bernie and Hillary. Uh, All I know is that where are we right now? Where are we right now? Yes. We're in the shit storm that he and his neoliberal friends created for us in the 80s and 90s. That's where we are right now. Biden was always going to run for re-election, no matter how you interpreted his 2020 era promise to be a bridge to a new generation of Democratic leaders. His approval rating is still in the low 40s. So were Obama's, Clinton's, and Reagan's, and at this point in the presidencies, and they all won second terms. Again, it's like you're pretending that the circumstances are anywhere near as similar as to what they were previously. It's, it's, it is a complete falsehood to assume that anything of the sort is possible. And I'm not saying that there's going to be an opponent on the GOP side that's going to be rah, rah, incredible. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is that we have these poor choices and it's only going to get worse because the launch video that Joe did already went out. It's I mean, look, we, we can play it and you guys will get an idea of exactly, you know, it, it is the same old, same old. Nothing changes. Something's not right. So. What are you? For some reason, I I don't think it added in What are you doing? What are you doing? And then you remuted me. I'm like, all right, you just, nothing was happening. Hang on, hang on. 
Peter has technical problems when he's in the studio. So the no, fact it's because I didn't realize else. when you clicked the link, you had to add the additional link over. My mistake. All right. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty and respect and treating each other with dignity. That we're a nation where we give hate no safe harbor. We believe that everyone is equal, that everyone should be given a fair shot to succeed in this country. Thank you for choosing us. Every generation of Americans has faced the moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. And this is our moment. So if you're with me, go to JoeBiden.com and sign Let's finish this job. I know we can. Because this is the United States of America. There's nothing, simply nothing we cannot do if we do it together. Nice bit of propaganda, I must say. But you didn't think that they weren't going to have like high production value for that particular video. It's just silly. It's just silly. The whole thing is silly. Let's finish this. He hasn't started anything. Joe, if you're talking about finishing your career, yes, obviously that would be the case. Finishing out his last days, but while still holding on to power. How about finishing us like finishing us? <laughs> I don't know what he's finishing, but I don't know what it is that he thinks he started. I'm honest to God, really shocked if there's anybody who thinks that there is like, what has he done that's of any amount of significance that really is benefiting the average worker in this country? There is the argument, you know, with the Chips Act. But again, overall, this was a moment in time post Obama, post Trump, where we needed a radical populist movement on the left. And what we're getting right now is status quo Joe at the worst possible time, the worst possible time. He's told us nothing will fundamentally change. And so now that that nothing did fundamentally change, get your ass out there and vote for me again. And and let's finish this of nothing fundamentally changing. Let's finish our nothing changing together. I'm terribly sorry, notary. We didn't mean to put you into such a depressive state that you wanted to hit the bottle. Go Uh, with the cannabis. Try the cannabis. It's better than the alcohol. Cannabis is definitely safer and healthier and highly recommended. It is. But, you know, I I think that the whole thing is just ridiculous, to be honest. Yes, just listen to what Holly says. Vote Vote harder. harder. If you vote Harder. harder. That's going to definitely convince <laughs> all of the corporate special interest owned representatives on Capitol Hill that they're definitely going to listen to you now. Now they're going to listen. 
Now they're going to do what you say. I mean, look, all I can say is for RFK's sake, for Marianne's sake, for anybody else who's thinking about running, the more people that choose to get in the race, the more that this will get interesting. I think the worst part of this whole fiasco is the fact that the president, he is the president of the United States. He has the ability to do something significant. The American people, the voter, has the ability to take a step back and say, I am not just going to vote for you again because you say so. We are desperate here. We need something. So but he Joe, can't. He can't do it. He can't. As commander in chief, he can do He's Yes, just, I know and that's now- and now with this pipeline, him and him and, and Mansion together. Oh, for God, the, the Lilly Project. Young. I mean, think about this. There could be somebody on the right. Even Trump could be like, he was totally crazy to green light that Willow Project. Really terrible decision. Uh, no, you know, this, there's, there's a new one. There's a new one through in, in Mansion that goes right through West Virginia. And, and Biden and he are like being thick as thieves, even though everybody is protesting it down there. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. Um, look, the bottom line is when you assess President Biden, there are more cons than there are pros. It's that simple. This is not even up for debate. And for those who are going to say, but the republic, it's, it's not going to work like it worked last time. It's just not mm. going to work. People are not having this. They're gonna. They're willing to go with what's even worse because what they're being offered sucks anyway, and they're not going to get off their ass and be motivated. That's probably the thing more than anything else that I think people really forget. Remember, Biden didn't beat Trump. It was COVID that beat him. That was the reality of what happened here. Yeah. And so now, as a result, it's going to be very interesting to see how things develop on the right, because as the left has shown, as the Democrats, in conjunction, mind you, with Joe announcing his intent to run for re-election, the Democrats immediately say, we will not have any primary debates. And soon enough, you know what the next step is going to be from that. We will not be having any primaries. Yeah. Now, I I actually don't mind the not having of debates, quite honestly, because they're not real debates. Let's be real, people. There's no there. There hasn't been a real debate since they stopped letting at least since they stopped letting the League of Women voters host them. And ever it's just this is silly and it's a waste of money. I definitely agree. So I mean, they don't debate anything. Yeah. So Joe's running for reelection and we could not be more unenthusiastic about it. So we give that a thumbs down. A very unenthusiastic thumbs. Joe, you have executive authority. There are a lot of things you could do between now and next November. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Probably won't, but still got to hold out hope until Election Day. In the meantime, uh, a big development here in the state of Florida. Uh, Disney has decided that they have had enough of Mr. Sanctimonious. I want everybody to picture this in your head, right? So it almost feels like so Mickey Mouse. This is how ludicrous this is. Mickey Mouse is suing Ron DeSantis. Now, my thoughts will be how entertaining this is going to be when they call Mickey to testify. The whole thing. I just want everybody to understand that I really think that these kids come to Disney to have a good time and they don't like it. And Ron DeSantis goes on TV and says that Disney is grooming children. We are grooming children. I just think it's like, it's like so, it's, it's ridiculous. 
I don't right, know. Talk what, about that. Talk about the Disney DeSantis thing. All right. So here's the article from CNBC. Uh, this has been as most of you who have followed our show, you know, our belief is that Governor DeSantis does these things because he's trying to create a base of support that can rival Donald Trump as the judge, jury, and executioner of all things, you know, leadership, politics, etc. So Disney sues Florida Governor Ron DeSantis alleges political effort to hurt its business. I don't think there is any doubt that Governor DeSantis is trying to hurt Disney's business. Walt Disney sues Governor Ron DeSantis, alleging the governor has waged a relentless campaign to weaponize government power over the company. The suit dramatically escalates the feud between DeSantis, who is expected to become a top GOP contender in 2024. The lawsuit was filed the same day that DeSantis-backed board moved to undo a development deal that says Disney struck to throw its power. And so there you go, Jen. What? It, what does it always come down to? What is it? It doesn't matter how much hot air you blow. It matters. Do you get in the way of corporate special interest money? And DeSantis decided to get in their way. And now they're saying, all right, now you're really going to see what we're all about. Yeah. Well, I never, first of all, I never saw this as like a good guy, bad guy thing. Let's be clear. But two things can be true. I always say that Disney is not a good company. They're not good to their employees. They're not a good corporation. I mean, they're just not. They are all about the bottom line, period, end of story. They do every decision they make is about is about profit and they will rip off everybody and you know, they don't care. They'd have honestly, they'd have child labor if they could get away with it there. Um, so this isn't about them and anything, but I just think it's ridiculous that DeSantis decided to get in a pissing match with basically the largest tourist attraction in our state the largest tourist attraction in the U.S. and possibly the world. The yeah. fight began like last year. Like just crazy. When, yeah. yeah. The, the fight began last year when Disney came out against a Florida bill limiting classroom discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity, dubbed the Don't Say Gay bill by critics. Soon after, the governor and his allies targeted the special tax district that has allowed Disney to essentially self-govern its Florida operations since the 1960s. So let's be honest. There's, there's no good guys here. That's the thing that so many people, thank you, Double K. There are so many people that really have, a, a, like, they, they want good guys and bad guys. They want teams. That's why the two-party system I sucks. Yeah. But this is something where the lawsuit called that action the latest strike, saying the development contracts laid the foundation for billions of Disney's investment dollars and thousands of jobs. The company noted its plans to invest. <clears throat> 17 billion in dis in Walt Disney World over the next decade, yielding an estimated 13,000 new jobs on top of its more than 75,000 current cast members. Nice well, little, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Can I please enter the fact that they don't care that their cast members sometimes live out of cars because they can't afford to live because they don't pay. We're them not here to talk about the, the bad way, things about Disney. What I'm saying is, is that when you say you're adding jobs, you should also say asterisk. They're shitty ass jobs. Point. Are case. they living wage jobs? Well, if they're not, then who cares? No. It's so no, they're not. So there you go. Yeah, it's a reflection of your company. But as we know, labor has been completely decimated in this state. In a response, the census office suggests the fight hinged on Disney special tax and governance privileges, not political retaliation. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there's any argument here. What big dumb animal coming in hot like always? Yeah, no, thank if you, it were you. if it were the if it weren't retaliation, then it would have happened a lot sooner. 
I think it really comes down to how far does he think they can take this case. Disney's lawsuit, however, argued that this is a clear case of retaliation, as this court is ever likely to see. Um, I don't think, like I said, I have no love for either one, whether it is the governor or megaopoly, Walt Disney World. Uh, Is this political retaliation? I think it's as clear as day that that's what it was. I think that he's been trying to muscle everybody since he's been able to gain the governorship of the state. And eventually he was going to press the wrong button if in some way, shape or form it hurt their bottom line. And so as it turns out, he did bring he did hurt their bottom line. And so now we'll see how far they're willing to take this fight. And the thing, the last thing I'll mention before we bring in our wonderful friend is I still think Governor DeSantis's run for the presidency hinges on whether or not he is able to get the GOP House and Senate in Tallahassee to pass, I guess would be an amendment for him to continue running for president and remain governor at the same time. That's going to be key. If he cannot remain governor, I wonder if he actually would go through with it. What do you think? Um, I'm sorry, right now I'm trying to deal with the, our other guest who said she's like in the Google waiting room. So I'm trying to get- Don't blame me. I didn't do that. I, I, didn't. I, didn't, I don't know how that happened. I only sent the StreamYard link, so I'm not exactly sure how it happened. But in any event, I'm trying to, rec- I'm trying to reconcile that. So I'm sorry, I wasn't listening to the thing, but- No, no worries. I, I was just asking, do you think- uh, do you think DeSantis still runs if ultimately he is not able to get the House and the Senate to pass an amendment specifically for him so that he can remain governor and run for president at the same time? Um, well, I don't know that. Well, he won't be able to. Right. You mean, will he be willing to hand over his seat? Will he be willing to basically leave his seat? I'm not convinced. That he, I'm I don't not convinced know. He will. I'm no. not convinced he will. I don't I don't think so. Hold on. I'm trying to deal with this. I need to figure out how can I send the stream here? Can you do it, please? Go into our generational change email, please, and just send the link again to her. Sure. Because I'm this is I don't know how to do it while we're in the stream. Oh, invite. There it is. Okay. We did you, you do we want me to do it or no? Here, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I just don't. I'm trying to. Excuse me. No. No, I need you to do it. It's not letting me do it out of the gen change one. It only lets me do it out of my personal and I don't have her email in there. Just, yeah. All right. You want to bring in Mo while I take care of this? Yes, I do. Well, we, 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 we'll she'll come back in a second. So we're going we're gonna to be talking, guys, tonight about <clears throat> juvenile justice, the the school to prison pipeline, things that are going on in the community that are trying to, you know, uh, help abate this problem because every community is different and it's really the local on the ground work that I think is what is going to ultimately prevail. Uh, and yeah, I wish I could say, I thought we had all the time in the world, but I think the earth is collapsing. So I'm not entirely sure about that, but yeah. So why even bother? So why even bother? Just kidding. I'm hoping she sees it. Uh, all right, let me see if I can. Did you do it? Did you send it to her? I'm one second. Okay. 
I, I, had re I responded that it's a StreamYard link. I just sent it. Okay. That's good. Okay. I'm sure she'll be on soon. I'm sure she'll be here soon. So our guest, we have two guests. There she is. There she is. We got it figured out. You know, sometimes that happens with the, the Google calendar link versus the StreamYard link. It happens. Well, I'm glad I was able to help. <clears throat> I'm glad you were able to save the day. Okay. I think we're good. I think we're good. So do you want to do, do you want to do intro? Our first wonderful guest that will be joining us this evening is somebody I think very highly of who has been. No, your, do your, just had, be normal. Be normal. Who has had your back as much as you've had hers. She is a community organizer of the highest order. Somebody who truly understands what it means to uplift your community in the best way possible. She is an amazing friend and an even <clears> more amazing leader, somebody I think very highly of, and I know you do Jen, do as well, Jen. Mona Lisa Weber, welcome back to Generational Change. Mo! Hey! You need to unmute you your need mic. You need to unmute. Unmute. Hey, y'all. Hey, Hi. Okay, wait, Look me, at you. And like you hey, y'all. <laughs> In the cabin, you're like, are you, are you in the barn? Like, where are you? That's so cool. I'm in the middle of the woods. I love it. Not I bad love to have it. such a great connection. No, it's it's yeah. pretty good. So what I've, this was really, guys, this is really interesting because at the recent League of Women Voters lunch, um, our other guest was the speaker. And when I was hearing her talk, all that I kept thinking was, I really need to introduce her to Mo. They need to meet. Like, I just felt like you guys would just really... You, you share a similar mission when it comes to the youth and how important that is to you and what and what we do for our kids and how we help our kids. And especially especially like young black boys and what's happening with them in the school to prison pipeline and that. So um, this our next guest, Bacardi Jackson is her name. She is an attorney at the Southern Poverty Law Center. I don't remember the exact title. She can tell she us. She is the interim deputy legal director of the Southern Poverty Law Center, Children's yeah. Rights. Yeah. I would say she's group. an attorney at the Southern Poverty Law Center, but um, and and is and specializing in juvenile justice. And I was just very inspired by her as a speaker. So I thought this would be a really good talk. So there you go. Bacardi Jackson, welcome to Generational Change. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's so nice to meet you, Mona. Hi, I looked you up. I was like, oh my gosh, she's super dope. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so Bacardi, just so you know, so Mona Lisa is someone who has always been on the ground, community activist, very specifically working with young people because Mona Lisa's background is in probation um, as a probation officer and just really understanding the system. And so it does so many things regarding basically what you do, which is work as the, you know, trying to prevent the school to prison pipeline. So I just thought it would be a really good cross-pollination. And I know that you're based here, but Mona Lisa is active like in a lot of different parts. And um, I just thought it would be a good connection to make. And I'd also like to hear what you guys think on all different things. So anyway, welcome. Well, thank you. I am so glad to be here and so glad you're connecting me to other great people. Yeah, the organizers have to meet. So tell us a little bit, Bacardi, what you're doing specifically at the Southern Poverty Law Center, um, what your job is, the division, like what the mission is that you're trying to to do there. Sure. So I am the interim deputy, deputy legal director for our children's rights practice group, and we work across five states. So we're a regional organization focused in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia and Florida. Um, I actually sit in Florida, but work across all five of those states. And um, our 
traditional buckets of work include stopping the school to prison pipeline, ensuring that children have access to mental health and other health services that they're entitled to by law, and also fighting for equitable access to education and equitable funding for education and really trying to keep public funds in public schools. Um, so those are the, the big buckets of work that we do. Lately, we have also um, jumped into the work around um, all of the ways that people are attacking public education, including trying to defund and dismantle it through the various culture wars, the curriculum censorship, the book banning, and all of those kinds of things. It started with the mask, um, but all the ways that public education has been under attack, we have been jumping in in the trenches on that battle as well. Yeah, that's really great. And and Mona Lisa, this is something that you know, given what you've always done and worked in the community, you know, like how there the total disparity in public education. And obviously this is tied to our whole concept of property taxes paying for education, which is ridiculous. But the fact that there needs to be so much subsidization, subsidization, subsidy. We need to supplement the public schools so much that it's like, that's why we need people like you. That's why we need um, programs like what you work on, um, either with your organization and the service that you're going to be doing with Probation Station. So tell, talk a little bit about that, like what you're really working on right now in terms of educational stuff that you're putting out. I appreciate all of you. Great rising and good evening. Uh, truly a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. I was kind of nervous because I'm in the middle of the woods and I'm like, I need the internet. But um, thank you for all of you that are watching. My name is Mona Lisa Weber. I'm the creator of Probation Station. I'm a former probation officer. I do a lot of work in the community. And um, basically through my journey, what I came to find out is that you know, and no insults to anybody, but stuff is not really getting done. The people that really needed like services are not getting to the people. So being in the trenches, being in the hoods where most people don't like to be at because they're either nervous or scared or they don't understand the culture. They don't understand how things operate or they come in with a form of entitlement. Right. So we kind of tend to stop all that. Like we want to be able to teach our own people um, our own way. Um, the way that they understand and relatability is key. So one of the things that I started many years ago was Probation Station, which is a curriculum that I created based on my knowledge within the criminal justice system, um, felony probation to be specific. So it's state felony probation. It's not misdemeanor and it's not federal. It's state. So I just saw a lot of um, injustices. I saw just a, the main thing that caught my attention was the lack of education. Right. So when people entered the correctional system, um, starting within the courtroom, like your first court hearing arraignment, you just see just lack of education and the system takes advantage of that. Right. The system truly takes advantage and makes money and profits off the lack of education of our people. So with that being said, I just, you know, observed, paid attention, right? I was an in-court probation officer, so I saw it from the courtroom perspective. And then I also saw it from the field perspective. I would have to go to people's homes, to their jobs, to the programs, right? So basically um, what I began to see was like, oh, so this is how this works? Well, if we educate the people, they can use proactive methods to get better outcomes. So I created Probation Station, and it's just a simple curriculum teaching our people how to maneuver through the system. I mean, one of the first things that drives me insane is my biggest pet peeve is wearing proper attire to court. 
People don't understand that you must look presentable to go to court in order to get better outcomes. Whether you want to believe it or not, you're being judged by the judge. It's just that simple, right? So it, it, it starts as basic as that. Also, definitions, you know, understanding the language because it's different, right? Le learning how to maneuver with your probation officer, communication, being proactive on early termination, right? Um, learning the little loopholes because the probation officer, unfortunately, is overworked and underpaid. So they're not going to go above and beyond. You know, they don't have the capacity to go above and beyond. So I believe it's the community's responsibility to actually be part of their own process. So that's probation station. I'm revamping it. I'm coming back out with it because this journey is not as easy as people think. I came out here. I'm like, yes, I want to change the world. Oh, my God, I'm going to help everybody and everybody cares. And this is going to be great. And this is what I'm going to do with my people. And oh, my God. And then I got slapped in the face. Like you get shut down between the political cliques, the other activists, people who say they care. It's all profit. You know, the nonprofit industrial complex, it, everything is just profit. So a lot of the work that we've done is literally going into the community, dealing with the youth. I've mentored the incarcerated youth since 2015. So I listen, right? I listen, I see what's going on. Um, going into the community with my community partner, really working on serving, right? Getting information, creating events for the youth because there's nothing for the youth to do, right? There's a there's a lack of communication between the ones in power and the ones on the ground. Like the ones in power want to bring what they want to bring, but they don't listen to the people in the trenches of what they actually want and what they need, right? So again, entitlement, like, I'm sick yeah. of the entitlement. Our children are dying, right? Like we're being slaughtered in the street, inflation, the housing crisis, and all these politicians, local politicians, all they <laughs> care about is being in a photo and, and stuff of that nature. So the journey, and even I'll say this with Jennifer, <laughs> I tell you, Jennifer has taught me so much. So I remember- I was going to say, you've learned really well, young Padwan. Yeah, it's just crazy because we were having like these community events where like two, three hundred people coming out. Right. But real community people, not your cliques, not the same people you see at every event. Right. And then like. White people start showing up and I'm like, uh, why are they here? Right. Well, they're white politicians. Right. And I'm like, why are they here? I don't I don't understand. And Jennifer's like, because y'all have numbers. I'm like, I don't get that. What do you mean by that? So she started teaching me the the correlation between numbers in the community and politicians coming to check you out because they need those people's votes. So I'm like, damn, we just being used in every way. So I just really started to learn. The journey has been a really great one, a really sad one, a really depressing one, a really amazing one. Um, this is just not easy. And I just wish that everyone kind of played their role so we can have a domino effect. Like, so if we can bring the people out, we need other people to come in and teach. We need other people to come and, you know, collaborate but since most people out here that say they do the work, our only self-interest is very challenging because they want us, yeah. right? They want us to do what they say, which is insane to me because we're the ones that could bring out the people. So they show no respect, right? So that's why... You guys are really big into politics. Jennifer knows I'm not really. You know, I know. I hate. I always say I don't want to sully you with that side of my life. I don't like Peter will say you should ask Mo to do. I'm like, no, it'll it'll. I feel yeah. like you're you're just too pure that way. I don't want to I don't want to taint you with that. 
no, 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 no. flower. You know, I believe in like, okay, so my homegirl in Lauderhill, she has a new Kabbalah STEM center. You feel me? She has an African center school. I believe we just need to start building our own stuff. You see what I'm saying? We yeah. can't depend on these systems, but you know, I, I'll digress on that. It just is really about like, we need to do what we need to do, then get numbers and start just locally voting all these people out. Yeah. I yeah. recently found out like in Pompano, because now I'm doing more political research on like precincts and numbers. Like some of these commissioners, they get in with like 3,000 votes. I'm like, 3,000 votes? We can get about, I mean, that's just about yeah. five events. Like, you know, it's, it's not a big ordeal, but it's the lack of knowledge that is, is keeping us where we're at. So yeah. our goal is to educate the young ones because the adults are gone. Like they're going to follow the trend. They're going to do whatever. They're not critical thinkers. They can't think for themselves. They're going to be like, oh yeah, that's the wave. And everybody goes that way where- we want to create critical thinkers to vote on policy, policy, not personalities, not because they homeboy or your homegirl, they're black or they're white. It's about policy. So you have some policies that Republicans have that can benefit us. And you may have some policies that Democrats have that can benefit us. Like we need to start voting on policy. So that's what I'm doing more education on and. Yeah, I'll stop. Yeah. Well, no. And I was just going to say, like, so Bacardi, what I think of, like, when you talk about um, education and getting more money in the system, is there any sort of like what kind of things are there that are outside resources? Because I know Mona Lisa has done some and and is part of putting together programs that are going to be designed to help a lot of young kids in schools that are not really getting they're not really getting what they need. They're just not like what kind of what kind of stuff do you see that's available that's out there? I mean, what what can be done? Because the public schools are not doing what they need to do here. It's just not working. Well, let's, and let's talk about that, because to me, that yes. is one of the narratives that is is sort of spinning in the air and that justifies a lot of the political maneuvering that happens. That's really about people making money and the profit that Mona Lisa is talking about. Um, so. First of all, when you look at a state like Florida, most people don't understand how much we underfund our public schools. Um, when you look at the national average um, of what states spend per pupil per year, Florida is about $4,000 per pupil per year below the national average. Now, the national average is not where we need to be to fully fund public education, right. but we're $4,000 per student per year below that. And so... We have never seen what a fully resourced, fully funded public school system looks like. So when people come in and critique the public schools, the first question is, is have we ever really seen a functional public school in this state? And under the current leadership, we definitely won't see it because what has just happened and what has been happening historically is we have we lead the nation in siphoning public school dollars, public funds your tax dollars away from public schools into privateers and profiteers pockets. We historically in the last, I don't know, many years have been putting about $1 billion every year out of the public coffers into private schools, many of which discriminate on the basis of of people's LGBTQ identity, on the basis of disability, on whether or not um, you know, school discipline issues, which always impact black and brown children greater. So we are funding discrimination with public dollars. First of all, you don't have the same rights you have when you go to public schools. If you have a child with disabilities, all of these things that people don't understand how it works. And so it's really important for us to, to, to pay attention to 
that aspect of the funding. So when people talk about you need these outside resources, no, we need to own our school system and actually fund it. We have one of the strongest provisions in the entire country in our constitution that says that every child in the state of Florida is entitled to high quality, a single system of public education. That's what we're entitled to, a safe single system, high quality education. That is not the reality. That is not what has been delivered. And it's what the people put into the constitution as a requirement. And so so that's the first issue. So, so when you look at what people are saying, oh, our public schools aren't working. Well, there's a lot of things that are making them not work. We don't pay our educators. Um, we're one of the lowest paid educators in the country. Um, and we are doing things now to further undermine that because educators are literally under attack in our state. We have seen and heard the stories of educators who are being threatened to have their licenses taken away, who are being threatened, not only in professional ways, but they are being doxxed online. They are having physical threats in their presence just because they wanna teach truth or they say something that somebody doesn't politically like, even though it is factual and objective. Um, we, are, we have never, in my lifetime, I have never seen the kind of fascism that we are going through that is literally putting the lives of educators at risk. And so when you see this mass exodus of people leaving our state, leaving this profession, and then you ask yourself, why is our public school system not working? That is why. And so, so I, you know, before people run away from that system, let's first own it. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, is our public schools educate most of our nation's children. Whoever else goes off into these other kinds of entities, most of our children are still going to be in our public schools. And in the five states that we serve, one in three of those students is black. One in five of those students is below the poverty line and more than half of them are low income, meaning they're eligible for free and reduced lunch. So we are talking about racial and economic justice when we are talking about the funding and the full funding of public education. And without that full funding, we are doing a disservice to poor people and to black and brown people. And we have got to put our foot down and say, absolutely not. I've always found it very frustrating how we fund education in this country. I think that that's just, it's just not correct. It's just not correct. There needs to be federal subsidizing of education and it needs to be basically a consensus as to this is how much, this is the quality of education we want to provide for our children. And this is how much this costs. And yes, it will cost different things in different places. So that, that can fluctuate, but and that, and then the, the the nation, you know, the national government needs to pay for that, right? And, and unfortunately, the way um, the jurisprudence has played out in the courthouse is there is not a recognized federal right to education, and that yeah. right exists only in the states. Every single one of our 50 states, though, does have a constitutional right to a free public education. And so we do have a national consensus that this yeah. is a baseline to participate in democracy. And so I absolutely agree with you. The time is now for us to revisit that issue, but not necessarily with this court. But the time is in terms of where people stand nationally, that we absolutely fundamentally believe that education is a baseline. And there is a is a is a, a level of excellence that we expect in that if we are going to be competing on a world stage and expect our children to be able to grow up and be productive and thriving um, you know, people. And so I think that is that's 
Yeah. And it's Marion Wright Edelman. She's one of my sheroes. She was the founder of the Children's Defense Fund. But her, her point always has been, we don't have a funding problem. We have a values problem. We have plenty of money. We're just deciding to put it elsewhere. We just passed in this legislative session a universal voucher program that will be giving more tax dollars from public schools to millionaires. We're talking about the people who are already in private schools and have plenty of money and would be in private schools with or without subsidies. But we are taking public monies to give that money to them. It's going to cost us, in addition to the billion we already spent, $4 billion a year. That's huge. That, I mean, when, when you compare that to what any other state is yeah. doing, it, it's it's mind-blowing. Um, so we are we are steadily, and nobody is talking about this in the language that it should be talked about, but we are defunding and destabilizing public education on purpose because the agenda of the folks who are in power now, when they first got in, um, Corcoran at the time was the secretary of education, and he told people directly, my goal within my tenure is to reduce the public education population by 50%. And so it has never been a secret that that has been the agenda. And it is a tragedy and a travesty for the people who are relying on that system to break generational cycles of poverty. Yeah. I mean, we're all relying on that system. How anybody thinks we're better off being surrounded by stupid people, I don't understand. Like, how is that? Like, to me, it's just crazy that we see that as a cost and not an investment. I've never understood that. You know, I mean, I do because it is it's a, it's a scheme to keep everybody like stupid, dr stupid drones. Um, just shut up and take what you're given. But, you know, when I hear regular people not wanting to support the idea of things like tuition free college or canceling student debt or these kinds of things, and I hear people saying that I'm like, yeah, let's just be all surrounded by stupid people because nobody can afford to get educated and nobody. Let's just do that. That sounds like a really good plan. And, and you're so right, because that's the single indicator that is attached to every other indicator that we determine about whether or not we are doing well. When you're talking about health, when you are talking about wealth building, when you were talking about productivity, when you were talking about who stays out of the criminal justice system, when you were talking about longevity of life and health. I mean, all of that is tied back to the single indicator of how well educated people are. Yeah, for sure. You know what I was going to think, I was thinking about while we have you guys on here, one of the things we were going to talk about, I don't know if you guys have been following that case of the four uh, Americans and three Russians that were arrested, They the supposed um, the, the African Socialist People's Party people that were arrested because of their supposed ties with Russia? Or have you been following this at all? Okay, then we don't need to. I just thought it was a really interesting justice case that, that they're getting, that they were arrested. Basically, it's I just ironic. The whole way that they're being prosecuted is just absurd. So I was just asking if you were familiar with that. Ladies, I'm going to have to hop off in a minute, but the question that I do want to ask both of you, which I think is one of the key ingredients here, I mean, obviously, when I look back on the election here in Florida between uh, Governor DeSantis and Andrew Gillum, the big issue was education. That was one significant issue that Andrew really leaned in on and I thought could have made a significant difference had he been at the helm. Uh, because this is a state that is notorious for siphoning public uh, education funds and uh, pushing them into charter schools, which is not supposed to happen, but it happens on the regular, which is, of course, the end goal of predominantly GOPers and 
a lot of Democrats as well, let's keep it honest, uh, to privatize education because they want the uh, money that comes with it. It is not considered a public good, uh, even though it should be. Uh, public college should be tuition free and we should be emphasizing trade schools all day, every day. But that doesn't seem to happen. And I'm wondering from your perspective why you think that is. I think, uh, you know, there's some obvious answers. You know, the powers that be want a serfs class. They just do because it's more beneficial than financially. But I really think we need to figure out how we rally the masses for them to understand that education is vital. And regardless of whether you think somebody's studying the right thing or not, um, there are plenty of there's there is such an extravagant amount of need for for public education and higher education for people to be advancing in our society you know i don't even, we don't even need to get into how far technical technologically we are behind china at this point the fact that we are not doing these things on the regular in public schools should be scaring the living shit out of everybody because it's going to be a very, it's going to be a slow drip, but then it's really going to get ugly. It already is getting ugly, and I'm wondering why so many people are just ignoring that reality. Whoever wants to so, take it first, okay, go ahead, Mom. <laughs> so, can you just one more time repeat the question? Because that I got all caught up in everything else that you were saying. My apologies. There's always a motive as to why the powers that be, regardless of whether it's the red team or the blue team, the red team is much more direct about it. The blue team is much more subtle about it, about uh, especially areas that are struggling uh, to basically defund and devalue public education in every which way possible because the powers that be clearly want to expand upon the serfs class, if you will. Right. But they want to keep it stupid. Yeah, but not enough people, I think, are uniting around this issue that the de the devaluing and the defunding of public education is a deliberate task. And whether it's being done by one party, it's always being aided by the other in some way, shape or form. That's why the slide has been so significant. And the things that we could do to turn it around probably relatively quickly. Quickly, if, if we were smart enough, uh, I think would definitely make a huge difference. But I'm curious as to why you think so many people just are not fully grasping that so many of these major problems, these infrastructural problems that we have in society stems from the devaluing and the defunding of education and why we can't seem to get our act together to stop this from happening. So the first thing is we're too distracted. That's number one. No one is really paying attention. Um, the struggles, inflation, just like the, the people who are struggling, surviving, um, who are even working class. There's so much burden going on. Their distraction is they want to feel good. You feel me? Whether it be taking a drink, whether it be taking a hit, whether it be taking drugs, whether it be partying with your homegirls, with your homeboys going out, watching the game, watching the fight. Like you survive and then you want to feel good to go back and survive. Right. So the distractions between the social media, the cell phones, what's coming out, the clothes, all this other bullshit. Right. Um, people see the dysfunction are in the dysfunction. Some create the dysfunction, but don't even understand why the dysfunction is even there. Then all this defunding and all this other stuff we are talking about is simply to make sure that the children go to prison. It's part of the school to prison pipeline because the solutions are so simple. I am an advocate for trades all day. I'm talking about bump the high school. Like our children are not learning anything. 
Let's just be honest. There's no critical yeah. thinking. Um, whether the schools are funded or not, you know, that's a whole bigger issue. That's fine. But at the end of the day, we need to be promoting trade schools, particularly for our black men, for our black boys. Point blank, period, because that's why they were removed back in the day anyway. Right. For them to be funneled into the prison system. So I don't understand like the simplicity. OK, our children need to learn how to read, how to write, how to critical think. Put these boys in trade schools by the time they graduate at the age of 18, by the age of 20, they'll be able to provide and take care of their families. We learned that in the pandemic. Um, everything essential. You feel me? Your plumbing, your AC, your tra- your 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 electrical. Like, why aren't we pushing our boys to do that so they can provide and take care of their families? So there's not this bickering between black men and black women all day. You feel me? Our men now can't really provide for 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 their families. We can't have fully functional families because our young boys have no skills, no no trade. They're being um oppressed within the school system to the point they don't even want to talk. How are you going to get out of poverty when you can't even communicate properly? How are you going to get out of poverty when you're not even comfortable enough to leave your hood? Like, how are you going to get out of poverty when you don't have a level of support and you don't even know what? Because you don't know what you don't know until you know, until you bump your face, you make a mistake, you flip the ground. You'd be like, oh, shit, did, did what it is. You feel me? Like, we got to start understanding the mindset of those that are struggling. We, we they, You know, and I'll include myself in that. We don't really, you know, I'm older now. So now I'm able to, yo, Jennifer, yo, Peter. You feel me? I'm not afraid to ask questions. We we are training our children to be quiet. We're, we are oppressing and suppressing their inner gifts that the most high gave them. But then you want them to come out and, 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 and be, you know, successful and flourish and walk. Half these kids are walking zombies. They're not loved. They're not catered to. They're not nurtured. There's no time for it, right? So for me, things are simple, but they're not. You know what I mean? Every community needs to get together and invest. You feel me? What was, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of even thinking about like, man, I'll give up my house to, to, to open up like a trade thing with, with, with not so much red tape. You feel me? These kids that are in the community, come to the crib, man. Let's teach you how to use a hammer, how to use a drill, how to use this, how to use that. Like we, we, we just be playing too much. We be talking too much. It's easy to talk. Like I've been out here. I know what's going on. You feel me? Like I ain't even trying to, you know, I'm not even going to get on that side of stuff, but yeah. like we play too many games. You know what I'm saying? We playing too many games. That's what it is. You know, what's interesting that I just thought of. So like, you're right. So you're, you're taking people that are not necessarily interested in college or would be benefited from college and you're giving them a K through 12 curriculum that doesn't teach them really anything else. So then so then you have people graduating from high school that if they're not really wanting to go to college, what are they what are they supposed to what are they supposed to do? Let, let me just speak to this for a minute, because yeah. I, 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 I differ a little bit on some of this. And, and I, I, I think it's really important to look back at the historical perspective around this. There is a reason that people would risk having their hands cut off or getting uh getting beaten, getting whipped, um, being killed, being lynched for learning to read. There is a reason that people were willing to do that. There's an innate understanding 
that education is something that is really, really important. My my grandfather was a sharecropper who probably didn't get more than a third grade education. And he decided for all 16 of his children, 17 of his children, that every single one of them would go to school. And he built with his own hands a school for black school children because the school that existed for black school children was a shack that was only open when the cotton fields were closed. And so there was an innate understanding of somebody like that who said, my children will have a better life because they will be educated and because I will have the high expectations that they are capable of being educated. And I know the, the gifts and the, and the, and the unlimitedness unlimitlessness of their minds. And so part of the difference that I've seen, I grew up extremely poor and grew up in in communities that were predominantly black and schools that were predominantly black. And I happened to have succeeded in school and went to some of the best institutions in the entire world. And I saw the, the difference in what the expectations were when you were in a school that's built for black and brown people, the expectations are is that we must police you, we must control you, and then we will decide which of you is worthy enough to educate. I am a mother of three black children and particularly black boys from day one, when they were in pre-kindergarten, I had to fight to tell white educators that my children were valuable enough to expect that they could learn. They were reading at the age of two and three. And it was because I had that expectation of them and I demanded that expectation of the teachers who were saying, oh, let's put them somewhere else. Let's make sure that they get to play. No, you educate my child. Just as my grandfather decided that was important, even though the share, the, the, the owner of the plantation wanted my father and his brothers to go to the field, my grandfather in the state of Mississippi, where there was strange fruit hanging on trees, walked to the big house and said, those are my boys. And, and until they're 21, I'm the only one who will tell them where to be and they will be in school. And so... We have to have the expectation. There is a reason that the generation of educators who educated Dr. Martin Luther King's generation produced brilliant minds is because even with no resources, even with no decent schoolhouses, even with no decent books, those educators said these will be leaders of our nation. We will run democracy institutions in this school to teach you how to vote, even though you don't have the right to vote, because we expect that one day you will not only vote, but you will hold office. And so until we change our mindset of our educators and we rebuild the dedication to those children, we will never educate them because we only expect them to be in the field. And that is not acceptable. And I think we can't separate out what we think is expectation for black boys and an expectation for white girls. They all have the capability of learning. They all have the capability of being anything they want to be. They can be technical if they want to be. And that is a perfectly wonderful career path. And it's probably more profitable than many of them that you go through college. But the fact of the matter is, is we cannot lower our expectations and change our expectations because of who people are. We have to decide that we are going to embrace our children and give them all of the resources that they need, all of them. And so when you walk into a school, if a child is still hungry, we need to feed them. If the children don't have health care, we need to provide it. That is possible. There are community schools. There are places that get this right. There are places that have decided our children are valuable to us. And I can tell you when I walked into those 
international institutions that were built for privilege and for the purpose of passing down privilege. In fact, I wrote a thesis on that. That's what it was built for. There weren't people there who were smarter than me or smarter than the folks I grew up in the streets with. They were not smarter. In fact, most of them were a lot dumber and didn't have as much sense. And, and what was happening is you could not fail in those institutions if you tried. I went to Yale Law School. You literally cannot fail. You literally could not fail at Stanford University. We didn't even have an F. And so when I tell you there are institutions when they are built for white people and for people who are children of the privileged, we build them differently. We walk people in the door and say, you will be leaders. And we make it so. Whether or yeah. not they have any kind of intellectual capability, we really don't care. You are the privileged chosen ones and we're going to push you through. And until we see that every child is worthy of that, we will never all be free. We will never fully understand what is possible in terms of being able to reach the real fulfillment of our nation. I agree. I think that to me, what I see that's the biggest, the blight is the disparity amongst public schools. And of course, we know this does have to do with how they're funded. And that's something that we see here. And in Florida, it's particular. I mean, it's bad everywhere. I shouldn't say that it's but but I mean, the disparity is than most. <laughs> it is. It's bad. And, 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 and let me just say this, because this is another historical piece of information that people don't understand about the public private separation. The reason we have vouchers, vouchers were created after Brown v. Board because southern states decided they would supplement white families so they would not have to send their children to schools with black children. That's where the first vouchers came from. That's why they exist. That's the function that they serve is to keep our schools segregated and to ensure that we have a dual system of education, not a single system of education. That is what is happening. And that's the same purpose they serve now, even in a place like Florida, where we say, oh, but we target black and brown people to give them vouchers. But what happens is in those private schools, you still send children to schools that are 75% or more white or 75% or more that's black. And those schools, those private schools are not equal. And so when you are talking about you know, people privatizing education, there's a lot of motivations. Some of that motivations is purely a profit motive. It's a lot, a lot of money when you have a private school and you don't have to meet the same building codes. You don't have to have certified teachers. You don't have to take standardized tests. All you have to do is have a good marketing budget and make parents think that you are selling the best thing since sliced bread. And you have a business that is extremely profitable. And so there's a huge profit margin. And there has been some real conflicts of interest. I think Corcoran's wife was on the board of one of the largest private uh, private school corporations. So I think it is, it's really important to follow the money. That's a big motivation. But the other motivation is a longstanding historical one. And it is one that has always existed in this country. And that is that we have never valued the lives and the intellect of black and brown people. Yeah. No, for could sure. Not, yeah, I, I uh, could not... Uh, dip on a better note. Um, you ladies are phenomenal. Keep doing what you're doing. Jen, uh, bring yeah. everything home. Whatever. Uh, Go have fun. Do whatever you're doing. Peter's in Vegas. Don't I'm actually, me. I'm actually going to a business meeting. Believe <laughs> yeah, whatever. Not. I'm not here. I, you know, I swear. <laughs> <to> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> still daylight over there. Yeah. That's true. He's yeah. out there. Out there. Now, will I, now, will I play a little Texas Hold'em at some point? Yeah, maybe. Oh my God. You better. <laughs> Enjoy it. Work hard. Bye, ladies. Bye. Bye, Pierre. Yeah, we don't need you.
Yeah. Yes, the, we do. The, there's no more toxic masculinity here. You can all, you can exactly. all like have fun now. I'll see that. you later. But no, I think that, I think that that's the thing that I find the, the worst is the disparity between neighborhoods. And to me, I feel like all the public schools should have this, like, not be the same because all communities are different. Like they need to be like, you know, I don't think they should all be like drone clones, but like they should all have the same resources available to them. And I, I still am not sure like why that's not a bigger fight nationally to get that because the states, they can actually argue, well, we don't have the funding, you know, but Washington can't do that. They can't argue they don't have the funding. They have the funding. There's plenty of funding. Well, there is federal subsidization of, of, of public education and there is money that's provided. Sometimes that money is sitting in a state coffer somewhere that's not being distributed as it was in Florida. Uh, so it's not always about whether the federal dollars are available. Sometimes it is the intentional misdirection or, okay. or withholding of those funds, but as we saw in the COVID pandemic. Uh, I mean, there, you know, there, there is money available and, and even with the state, there is state money available, but we're deciding to send it to privateers with no accountability, none. Yeah. When you look at, at the way these, um, you know, if you go back and look at all the fraudulent schemes that have come out of our state writing checks to private entities, it is vast. <laughs> and, and we still aren't even demanding that kind of accountability. So I have a quick question. So, um, Bacardi, what can, or what do you suggest, or what can parents do, commute like on the ground level? Um, do we go to the school board? Is it we got to go to more PTA meetings? That's more from from my knowledge. I'm I'm learning a little bit about, you know, the the school board. As I was a huge advocate for my for the person who ran for school board in my district because I started to understand and learn the importance. But what is it that we need to do on the ground, the people, the parents, the, the teachers, the, the church members, the pastors to kind of like, I don't know. I mean, this may be years in the works, but what, what can we do to start planting seeds to be able to move this? Because while we're waiting, we have a generation of, of children that are suicidal, uh, mental health, going into the, the, the juvenile system, because uh, I advocate for juveniles as well. Like this is, it's, we are in, in, in a state of emergency. We are. Right. We are. So and, yeah. What, what can, what can the ground do? What can the parent, you know, what, what, well, well, one of the things that's really beautiful about this moment is we've got a lot of people paying attention to the education system in ways we never have before because people are outraged to see things come back in this sort of fascism um, way of, you know, censorship and book banning. And, you know, it's, it's just outrageous. So we've got a lot of people paying attention. Um, we've, okay. we've got people putting freedom schools on the ground. We've got people offering free banned books. We've got a lot of people focused, which is wonderful. And I think this is probably one of the greatest. I, when I went to law school, I did study critical race theory, and there were probably maybe two dozen people in the world who knew what it was. Thanks to the culture wars, everybody knows what critical race theory is or they can find out easily. Um, and so that's those things to me are like really actual wins. But what we have to do is, and you just said it, it's, it's simple, it's basic. Every child needs an advocate. Every child deserve, deserves one. I, I'm highly educated and my children, 
My black boys were questioned and expected to be less than what they are. And I had to literally starting in preschool, be their advocate and say to the teachers, no, this this kid is not a disciplinary problem. This is Barack Obama. I would literally take in a, a booklet of like 10 pages. Here are the things that my preschool two year old can do. I need you to understand who you have in this room. And every child deserves that kind of advocate. So first of all, we have to teach our parents how to advocate um, and make sure that they are not afraid to question what is happening in their own schools, to ask questions. I was blessed to grow up with a mother who showed up at my school. We were very, very poor, but my mother did not miss school meetings. She did not miss PTA meetings. And PTAs back then didn't exist to sell cookies. They, they existed to question and challenge what was happening in that school. I never, I was shocked when I became a parent and saw PTAs talking about fundraising. I'm like, we're That's supposed, all they do. We're That's supposed all to be here raising hell and asking about the teacher's credentials yeah. and trying to make sure that the school is producing what it should be producing for our children. But PTAs haven't been necessarily yeah. doing that. And so I think we have to make sure, one, the meetings that, that parents are invited to happen at times that parents can attend. If they don't, if they're happening only when stay-at-home uh, single, I mean, uh, uh, partnered and married parents can attend, that's a problem. We need to, first of all, make sure it's accessible to parents who speak another language, accessible to parents who may have um, various limitations in their abilities. Those kinds of things are the very first front line. We need to be present at our children's schools. There's research that shows the children who are most successful are the children whose parents show up. And it's simply the matter of showing up. And so that's that's the front line. And I know that's not always easy because my mama grew up, I grew up with a mama with two, three jobs. I know what that feels like. It is hard to make time, which is why we have to demand of our schools, you need to hold some meetings on the weekend. You need to hold some meetings right. in the late hours. You need to hold meetings where you're providing dinner for families if you're expecting them to show up at dinner time. That's not hard. Our, our schools can do it and we can demand that they do it. Then we need to walk in those schools educated about our rights. We need to make sure parents understand that if their child is not progressing, maybe they need to be assessed as to whether or not they have a disability that the school is required to address. Do you know that there is one in five Americans struggle with literacy? That's a little known secret that we don't even make sure our population is literate. There are entire countries that we call third world that have solved that problem completely. It is totally solvable. We know the science on teaching people to read and we don't employ it. And we don't ask questions if our children are not progressing. Maybe they have dyslexia. Maybe they have a learning disability that needs some addressing and some resources that they are required by federal law to provide in that school. They're required by federal law to assess your child if you think there is a problem. And so, first of all, we need to make sure parents understand that. And if parents don't have capacity, we need to bring in mentors. We need other people to show up and be be parents with the parents who need those resources. Um, and so, so that's, that's one level, just being at the school, providing advocates for every child. When you see a child that's misbehaving, that's oftentimes a cry for help. It's not about that child is a bad person. The question we should be asking is what happened to you, honey? What is it you need, honey? Not I'm going to throw you in jail. 
We need to be asking, are you misbehaving because you're too embarrassed that the teacher's going to ask you to read out loud and so you'd rather flip over the desk? We need to understand what's at the root cause of whatever that behavioral issue is before we just start throwing our children out of school, which is what we do regularly. And so I think that that is that is just so basic. Be in our schools. If you don't have children, show up and say, how can I support and mentor? Show up for career days or start a mentoring program. That is I've started three different mentoring programs in my life. I love mentoring young girls in particular. It is so important to have just there was one young lady when I was in college, I started mentoring. They closed down the high school in her town, which was a black city, and they sent them to these white schools. I literally she asked me because her mother wouldn't go and she had a lot of conflicts with her mom. So can you please come to this parent meeting with me? I was like, I'll be right there. We go to this parent meeting and literally this teacher says in front of this beautiful child, they act like animals over here. I don't know why they're here. I went off and she, I wanted her to hear me go off because I wanted her to know she was valuable and nobody had a right to think that about her, especially not the person who was assigned to educate her. And today she owns property. She's an executive at a multi-international corporation. Um, she has succeeded because she had an advocate. That's, it's simple. I didn't do a lot. I was a college student, I didn't have money. All I had was my time to show up at a parent meeting and to tell this child she was worth my time and my effort. Everybody could do that. Everybody could do that. It doesn't, I wasn't a lawyer. I didn't know any law. I just showed up and I just showed that I cared about this child and that she had an advocate with her. And so I think that's the very first baseline. We also need to show up at the school board meetings. There are factions of people who are showing up who are on the side of destroying our public education system, who want to censor our books, who want to destroy the history of black and brown and indigenous people. We need just as loud voices showing up in those same school board meetings and saying, you are taking away my choice when you remove these resources from school. Don't you dare talk to me about this is so-called parental choice when I have no choice because you have removed the very resources that will engage my child and make them interested in being here because you want to take everybody who looks like them out of their books and out of their classrooms. And so showing up at those school board meetings is absolutely essential. Speaking, giving public remarks, um, writing down statements, there's, there's practice for that. We can, we can get together beforehand. You got three minutes to talk. Even if you don't know what you're going to say, just get up there and say, my child matters. Just get up there and say, you won't do this. Not today, not on my watch. Um, it is just important to show up and speak out and let them know there is somebody else watching who cares about these black and brown babies in our schools. We're not going to let them keep criminalizing them, adultifying them, sexualizing them. These are our children, our babies. I purposefully refer to black and brown teenagers as children because I want people to understand they are our children, which comes with the responsibility of our nation to take care of them. And so when we start to see our children as children, we understand that they are worthy of love and respect and worthy of our resources. And so that's, that's you know the baseline. And then if we can show up in Tallahassee, we need to show up there too. And we need to stand up and we need to do the same public comments. We need to write what we expect the laws to be. And then we need to show up on every election day. 
and let people know and publicize and talk about who is not serving our children, who is seeking to destroy them. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Commission is not about safety. Whose safety? It's not my children's safety. There's a one in 615 million chance on a given day that a child will be shot by a school shooter. There's a one in 1,000 chance that my black boys will be shot and killed in their lifetimes by a police officer. I do not feel good with police officers on my campus. So when you're talking about safe for whom, who is being made more safe? Not my children by your over-policing and over-surveilling and, and criminalizing them. And so we, we have got to start questioning and stop letting people spin truths that are not truths. <laughs> um, and so that's, you know, those, I think every single level, whatever you can do, do it at your level. Everybody doesn't have to show up in DC or show up at the Capitol. You can just go to the school that's in walking distance from your home. Yeah, you basically already do that, Mo. I mean, you're basically not walk to the school near your home. I don't know about that, but basically be an advocate for people that don't have an advocate. Correct. Uh, and one of the things I'll 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 say um, as a solution, uh, based on my journey and uh, the nonsense, you know, through local stuff. Um, you know, we're creating a retreat space for inner city youth to come out to land, to come out to the rural area, right? And um, learn See, about- See, this is why I really wanted to connect you, but I didn't know if you wanted to share that. I didn't know if you wanted to share that. So I I'm mean, glad. You know, right. I'll just, it's just a little dips and bits. You know what I mean? I'm not going to get too much into it because we're still building. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's definitely a, one of the things that I realized being more in the, the country area, right? I'm in the land. I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere right now. Um, one of the things that I realized is being on land, getting back to nature. Uh, mm -hmm. Nature nurtures you. Um, you begin to get more mental clarity. You are you're you're away from all the daily distractions. Um you know, there's cows right here down the street. I mean, literally like a few feet away, um, bringing our children back to nature to expose them to other possibilities and opportunities, um, connecting with local farmers so they can have a sense of, 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 of spirituality so they can understand that they are spirit beings and that they have a responsibility to take care of nature. So the retreat space that we are uh, currently creating is to remove, and it's going to be very. Uh oh. See, this is what happens when you're out in nature. Wait, wait. You you went away for about. You're having technical problems. Wait. I am. Can you hear me now? You lost. Your, yeah. Now you're back. You're back now. This okay. is what happened. I said this is what happens out in nature. Right. So just really quick, it's a retreat space to remove young boys from the inner cities, get them some mental clarity, teach them, um, you know, reading, pottery, chess, uh, farming, connecting them, and, and just providing something different so they have some exposure to side of their everyday chaos and lives. Um, that was the solution that we came up with because the nonsense that is happening locally with our supposedly lo uh, elected officials and all these so-called people that want change. It, it, again, it's just nonsense that's going on. 
There's we're, we're locally, we're not building any infrastructures. We're not doing anything to support our own. And I, I believe in that. I believe in that because I've been in it. I've seen it. I've been betrayed. I've been, I mean, it's all BS. And until we all come together to make change, you know, we're working on what we can do, right? We all have a, a role to play. We all have a lane. We all have different gifts that we can, you know, give to our children. Um, whether it be an hour a week, two hours a month, we all have a responsibility because we all are, all of us are made by the creator and we have a responsibility here on earth. That's why you have an opportunity to wake up every day. If you are able to wake up in the morning, you have a responsibility to give of your gifts, point blank, period. Um, so I am being obedient to the most high and creating what we can do, right? It's taken a couple of years, but we we gonna do it regardless. Like that's just what it is because we must be obedient in taking care of other children, not only our own, but other people's children. Because at the end of the day, we all are gonna connect. That's why the chaos is happening right now. Like people think, oh, these are my children, my children. I'm gonna protect them. But when your children go out, they're gonna be exposed to the other children that you ain't really give a damn about, right? Like we all have a responsibility to take yeah. care of the earth. So at some point, you know, we're going to do the whole launching of the, the place and everything, right? Most people know my work. And it's just, for me, it was more creating a solution. I didn't want to continue to fight and fight and fight and leave this earth fighting, fighting, fighting. I want to create a solution, expose as many children as we can, because we can't save the world. Can't save the world. Unfortunately, Molisa got slapped in the face. Lady, you can't save the world. But I can plant seeds and be an impact for future generations. And those are our intended outcomes. And Lord willing, we're going to make it happen. Um, things are moving great. Um, and I just encourage everyone who is watching, who is listening, to just do your part. If you're an accountant, you know what I'm saying? Teach some of these kids some accounting. You know, if you're a plumber, teach some, like, just, just go out there. If you see your kids on the block hungry, man, give them some food. Like, cook. Like, use your skills to be part of the solution and stop complaining so much about the situation. We know what's going on. We know what is happening. Use your gifts and your talents. You are valuable. Every single human on earth is valuable to be able to take care of the earth. And I just encourage us through the midst of what everything that we're going through, like value who you are and use your skills for the future, for the next generation. One of my sayings is our pain, our struggle, our suffering is for the healing of the next generation. Use your mistakes, use your pain to teach the youth not to make the same mistakes that you made. And like my mama always says, may God rest her soul, rise in power, cover us all. When you do it with love, it will flourish. When you do it with love, it will flourish. And how, yeah. do, how do people support your work, Mona Lisa? Oh, Bacardi, I'm going to have to reach out. We're going to have to come. And the thing is, is that where where Mo is located is in your region, right? Like, so it's in your region that you're working with kids in schools like that. Like she's in that yeah. region and is communicated with local educators in that region about setting stuff up. So it's just kind of cool. And it's a whole different ballgame. Like I found out about Future Farmers of America. 
Like every school in this area has a farming program. Children are like learning how to raise cattle. Children are learning how to deal with, 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 with crops, learning how to open up businesses. So I'm seeing like the differences in different areas, right? And I'm like blown away by the knowledge. And I'm just like, what is going on in the inner cities where our children are not being exposed to the more rural or, or, or I guess country type of education. I mean, these children are, it's phenomenal what's happening. So I'm becoming more educated, but Cardi, to answer your question, we're not there yet. We're going to kind of launch it. We're, you know, we're kind of keeping it a little bit behind the scenes for now until we get a few things in order because the, 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 the infrastructure, we want to kind of get the infrastructure in order, show the community and then have them support us. So I'll definitely, you know, be reaching out, you know, once things happen. Because, yes, we are going to need support. We want people to sponsor some of the youth to come up, right? Um, it's a program. It'll be like a camp. Like you're going to do like a camp program type thing, yeah. right? And because it is vital between the knowledge that I've gained with the incarcerated youth being in the communities and then the stuff that I'm seeing here, it is vital to remove our children for just a small period of time out of the inner city chaos. All they see all day is getting killed, getting killed, getting this, getting that. We just got a phone call recently, what, two hours ago, you know, my community partner, somebody got killed. Like this is a constant thing. We get calls, killings, killings, killings in the inner city, drive-bys, our children getting killed. This is all our children are seeing. So this is what they're ingesting. And then this is what they're bringing about to the community. Right. So that's why for me it's very important for everybody to take a stand and it's not that hard. Like Bacardi said, you know, if you just just simple things, just be an advocate, reach out because it's going to affect us all. And personally, I want to be an impact. Me and my community partner, we want to be an impact. We care about all children, not only our children. We care about all children and the children that are being raised around us. And we figured this would be a solution based on all of the challenging experiences that we have been through. And I just so, want to want to put a, you know, a highlight and a plus one on what you said about having an affirmative vision, because I think it is so important. It's easy to complain and, and it's easy to be paralyzed. Um, I hear so many people say, I'm just not going to vote because the whole system is broken. So it's easy to be paralyzed and just say, I'm going to opt out. But when you opt in and become a co-creator with God, as um, Dr. King admonished us to do, saying, you know, um, we've got to do the work. I think yeah. that that is the that is the real work. And I just love, love, love this notion. And I want to just highlight what you said. I think that is beautiful. Thank you. You've got to have a vision for what it should be. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's some of the the burnout that you experience when you're fighting all the time. And so we we constantly challenge ourselves to say, what is our affirmative vision that we are, are building towards, not just what we're fighting against? Yeah, I can't help but envision at some point you guys will cross pollinate at some point. I think it would be really, <laughs> you know, I always use this term, we cross pollinate, but I think it would be really interesting. And Bacardi, when I heard you speak and I came up and I said, I like, I could not stop thinking, I'm like, oh, I think that that would be really cool because I know what Mona is doing up there. And I just, th I say up there in the general sense, because I'm in South Florida, so everything is up somewhere. But like, I just know that there is so much that that you have in common in terms of what your mission is and what you're trying to do for the kids. 
And I, I just think it's really important. But Cardi and Jennifer, when you were both invited, I'm telling you, it is healing. It is one of, I mean, one of the most amazing experiences to just be out in nature and listen to the birds and look at the stars and the shooting stars. And it's, it's one of the most amazing things. And I think our children deserve to experience that. And then, of course, you know, I do a whole bunch of juicing, so I'm real big on health. And so they're going to, exp- oh, it's just going to be great. Like, you know, I, we're going to do our part. That's what I'll say. And we and we look forward to the support of the community and we'll be reaching out. And of course, Jennifer, I'm going to be like, I need to go on your show. So because we, we, when we launch it, you know, that's when the whole thing is going to. Yeah, I mean, and I do I do think it's important that you're talking about so many different aspects of, of dealing with children, because there is this huge mental illness component. And there is this huge thing that and I know you've talked a lot about this thing, especially with black boys not having black men to to sort of guide them, educate them, show them things, and that that has been a huge thing for you. And I love the idea that you're putting together a program specifically for that. And I think that that's very important. Um, like, and I know I'm such an interloper in this, and you know, like I'll always support however I can, and I'm excited to come and see it when other people aren't necessarily there. Um, but yeah, I know, I know. You know, but but I think that's important that you're addressing the mental health component. And and if you would talk a little bit about some of the things you had thought about, like bringing in people to, you know, to talk with them, because so many of these kids do not have a functioning family role model that the kids that we're talking about. So. It's it's if it's if it's helped us as adults coming on a land and connecting to nature. Um, it's definitely gonna, gonna uh, impact the youth. So last year, just as a, I don't even want to call it an experiment. Um, my community partner brought two teens, right? Two of his family members. They were about between the ages of 13 and 15. So I was like, are you sure? Because, you know, we don't have this. There's no, there's no bathrooms. There's no this, 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 this. Man, I'm just trying to take them out of the city for the summer. Like, that's just what it is. I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. So we had a couple brothers that came. You know, we were doing like an honoring and a celebration. The bonfires are one of the most healing things that I have ever experienced. So I was a little concerned, but in a way where I'm like, I don't want them to be bored, you know, or something of that nature. We're not ready yet, right? Right. But when you're when you're dealing with the most high, is that just what it is? Like, you can't really, you're always ready, right? So... Some of the things that the boys did, um, they collected wood, you know, they actually got to see some of the cows, like cows were literally like two feet away from them. They were like blown away by the concept. Um, They were able to create their own bonfires. Then of course you got the s'mores coming in. So they were excited about that. Um, Me personally, um, smoothies and healthy juices. Um, One of our, our, our brothers and, you know, I call all, all the men around me brothers, um, he does mental health. He came down from Atlanta and just did a few things with them. Right. Then our, right. Uh, another brother came and was teaching him how to play chess. And then they had a responsibility. Wait, was that the guy from down home. here? Was that the guy from down here? The chess master guy that I met when we were doing the garden? Yes. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. You know, the men that we plan to bring up, they, they've been doing work. I mean, they're just solid brothers. Right. So, he's teaching chess in the middle of the land, you know, 
um, darts and just really just, just the things we worked with what we had. Right. So of course, good food, barbecue, right. The men were teaching the boys how to like season, you know, the meats, you know what I mean? Like really giving them like some, some, some skills. And, you know, it was about a good four or five days. Right. Okay. No problem. We come back to South Florida and about a month later, my community partner calls him, calls me, shout out to Heron Hollis um, and says, yo, yo, these boys are talking about the land. I'm like, what you mean? What you mean? And they went down and described every mentor. Oh, um, so-and-so taught us how to, you know, get rid of like our anger, you know, write it down and throw it in the fire, you know, um, so-and-so taught us a little bit of chess. Uh, Mona Lisa smoothies were so good and healthy. And like they broke down every single aspect. And I started crying. I just started crying because I was shocked at the fact that in my mind, there was nothing to do. Right. This is what I'm thinking. But I didn't express it too, too much because I'm more of a elevated thinker. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, but you know what? God knows best. So let's do it. When they came back with that information, I cried. But now it gets better. They called my community partner about two months ago. So are we going to the land this summer? He was like, yeah. And then they were like, yeah, but can we bring two more friends? So they did their own recruitment. <laughs> so everything is just falling in line. Like now we got two more boys from their school that want to come up. Okay. Right. So it's just really about exposure and something different. And we've been developing relationships with people in the local community, particularly farmers, because we see an issue with food that's coming up now in this country. Right. Laboratory made food. And if we understand the connection between food and mental health, we would really start growing our own food. But that's a whole nother that's a whole nother show. Yeah, because well, we, we know about the food desert problem and the lack of access to healthy food. I mean, you see it all. I mean, it's it's definitely a huge problem. Um, yeah. But I, I think that what you're doing and showing them is is incredible. But more importantly, it goes back to what you were both saying, because when you bring kids there and you show them that, even though you think it's nothing to do, the message that those kids are getting is that these adults care about me these adults value me and these adults are wanting me to have this experience, right? Like it's really, I think the most important aspect is them realizing that there's people that give a shit about them in this world. And besides that, I mean, we're not human doings, right? We are just human beings and the act of being with each other and being in a space and being part of nature is, is what is our essence. And so that's what's so beautiful. I, I, I love it. And I, I'm a nature person too. So when I need a, when I need a mental health break, I, I want to go kayaking or get somewhere where I can see some trees and some water. And I think that is, you know, the, the exposure is what you're talking about. Children even knowing that that's an option, that there are free parks you can just go sit in, um, or you can just go sit by the ocean, doesn't cost a thing. And I think um, just creating those options but, but especially the being with people who care about them. Yeah, I think that's what they're getting. You know what? Thank you so much. Mo, you want to say something before we close? No, I was just going to say, um, you know, exposure is what saved me. I'm, yeah. I, you know what I mean? So it, it, really, it really did. Um, 
being raised how I was raised, extremely poor, like really just don't don't really know. You just find out as you know. But my mom had this thing. It was just she was like a risk taker. She, you know, I always say this. Bless her soul. She, she, she was always trying to get us out of the impoverished communities to go into another impoverished community. You see what I'm saying? It was just like from hood to hood to hood in different states because she was just trying to get away. But I guess she didn't understand that her level of poverty wasn't going to get us anywhere higher. So we ended up being in, but that even that alone was exposure from a different state to a different state. You feel me too? And then I was just more of a risk taker. You know, I don't even, to be honest, I don't even know how I ended up going to college. You know what I mean? I was just like always searching and stuff of that nature. But what I understood was that exposure, even through my, through my teenage years, my college years, the people that I met, um, being open-minded to learn and ask questions. Cause that's the thing that I'm realizing. And it's really affecting. I, I taught at an alternative school at some point and I tried to, I, I did a class where I'm teaching the young brothers and sisters how to literally just introduce yourself, handshake, eye contact, like three boys broke down crying. They couldn't do it. Like we have a serious problem. So I just, I'm, I'm just taking the experiences and what I've observed, particularly with our incarcerated youth and our, and our youth in alternative schools and just creating something to uplift them and to let them know that they're valuable. So some of the things that we will be teaching is based on their lack as well. Like I was blown away when three of these young brothers broke down because they couldn't really say, hello, how are you? My name is and shake your hand and give you eye contact. They couldn't do it. So all I'm doing is exposing. I want them to be exposed and let them know that they have other options rather than they're like, you know, one or two mile radius. And, and yeah. that's it. Like I said, we're going to do our part. And, and, and you, you all are doing, everybody does their part that I associate with. I only affiliate with part doers. Um, but you, and you're always in the right lane. And I, I, I thank you so much, Bacardi for coming on. And I know you were like one, I told you, we just have free flowing conversation here. It's just, I really wanted you to connect. And I just, I, I thought that would be kind of cool. And I just sort of, you know, thought we'll just have an episode about children and education and justice. That was sort of my thought. Well, thank you for that. This has been enriching for me. I am so glad to see you again and to be a part of this and to meet you, Mona Lisa. I can't wait to uh, figure out how we can collaborate more in the future. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I want to come to the land too. So I can't wait. I was like, this late, I researched you, ma'am. You off the chain. I'm like, oh my God. Like all this stuff. So I, I immediately... Because Jennifer asked me, I'm like, damn, I'm going to be on the line wrong about this internet. So we over here trying to figure it out because I really wanted to have this conversation because I, I researched you and you've done amazing stuff, man. Congratulations. Thank you for all you do. I appreciate you and definitely look forward to, um, you know, inviting you and hopefully bringing about resources because we're going to need um, we're going to need some some help. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for your vision. Abs thank you guys so much. Thanks for coming, guys. Any questions? I don't see any. Thank you all so much for coming. I appreciate it. I'm going to talk about that one story before we head out. And Mo, when are you coming back to town? In the next next two days, I guess. I, uh, I ain't even try to leave. I go. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to I'll come back. back. Thank I'll you back. so much, guys. Thanks, Bacardi. Thanks, Mo. Thank you. Take care, y'all. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. 
So there was just one thing I wanted to really talk about that we didn't have a chance to get into. Um, I don't think that's the one he uses. Hold on. I think it's this. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys are aware of these uh, four African socialists that were um, arrested. And I'm going to pull up this story. I don't normally like to sit here and do news like a newscaster, but I think this is an important thing that I don't think that people are following this. I don't think it's getting um, enough coverage. And I think that that's a really big problem. So I want you guys to understand what happened here, okay? These are, when they say African socialists, I want to explain to you who these people are. So this is the New York Post rendition, of course. Four radical American socialists have been charged with election meddling and spreading Vladimir Putin's propaganda after they they were arrested in in dramatic FBI raids. The four, two of them white, we needed to know that, are members of the African People's Socialist Party, a 50-year-old black empowerment organization. So now before we get anywhere in this, I want to just explain the gist of this because what they're being accused of, okay, they are indicted on Tuesday for, and I'm going to use quotes, sowing discord, spreading pro-Russia propaganda, and interfering in elections within the United States. Okay, however, if you keep reading... There is no evidence whatsoever about any of this. And what we're really looking at, and this is no different than any other time in history where our government wants to stifle the people that are speaking up and speaking truth to power. So I want to talk about what this um, party is. What is the African People Socialist Party? Because I had to kind of look it up. I mean, I don't, I didn't know what it is. And so what they're about African internationalism is a theory that explains the world as well as the place and future. Hold on, I'm going to stop this one for a second. Okay, I'm going to read this. Uh, Of Africans in it. African internationalism recognizes that capitalism born as a world economy has its origin in the assault on Africa and the global trade in African captives as well as ensuing European onslaught on most of the world. So here are the aims and objectives of this group, okay? The aims and objectives are to lead the struggle of the African working class and oppressed masses against U.S. capitalist colonial domination and all the manifestations of oppression and exploitation that result from this relationship. Um, And and what's really interesting about this and, and where this, the leader of this organization and where the pictures of him, if you will see them, of him protesting, these are anti-war advocates. These are people that are regularly standing up anti-war, anti-oppression, anti-colonialism. These are not people that are trying to hurt us. These are not people that are working with Putin. They don't have, there's no there there. And this was just yet one more excuse, sort of in the same vein of stifling the First Amendment, um, people like going after uh, whistleblowers. Uh, this is a radical group of people that just believe that they want to just have control of their own destiny on this planet. That's, that's what they're doing. They have not threatened anybody. They have not done anything to threaten anybody. I can't find a single thing on them that's remotely violent or threatening. 
So I don't understand what, why, other than, yes, they're speaking up about colonial imperialism and dare we do that, and the oppression of Black peoples around the globe, dare we do that. Um, but I do not understand anything in this indictment that indicates what exactly they're saying was done to be colluding with Russia to alter our elections. Did they put out information that they maybe agree with? Maybe they agreed with something that was said by Putin at one point and something he might have said about America and its colonial empire. I don't know. Broken clock is right twice a day. Who knows what they did? I don't know. These, what information they put out is something that is, you know, First Amendment material. That's what we're talking about here. And so not only is this a violation of their First Amendment rights, it's also something that I would argue is in the vein of like having political prisoners. You don't agree with what they're saying. And so you just want them to go away and you want to stifle them. So you're going to use whatever excuse you can to do so. I looked up everything I could find about this group, about the Uhuru, Uhuru movement, which, by the way, Uhuru means freedom in Swahili. And basically, this is a group that is just wanting to control their own destiny out of the hands of white colonialist oppressors. That's all they want. So whether or not you agree with them or like what they're about, leave them alone. I just seriously. So that was just something I wanted people to be aware that this story was actually going on. And the arrest was made. It involved four Americans and three Russian nationals. Um, And it's just really absurd. And I kept scanning and scanning to try to figure out what it is they actually did that is colluding, like that qualifies. And I can't find anything. I I really can't. So at this point, it's extremely vague. I I have no idea what was done in terms of what was presented to get those indictments handed down. And I guess more will come out of that as we go forward. But um, just be aware that these people are basically political targets that uh, are anti-war activists. So, you know, uh, just uh, the irony of that, I find kind of like suffocating. But um, let me see if any of you guys are saying anything as I'm now having to Uhuru is also in Star Trek. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do. I, I do understand that when people hear things that sound so foreign, that it's all scary and all kind of weird and we don't like it. Get over yourself. Um, you know, I, I they even the way that it's even quoted the way that it's even presented, the way that the headline even reads, it makes it look like these are like radical, crazy, violent, aggressive. Like it's purposefully misleading using language to indicate people that are in some way dangerous. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to paint this group of people as dangerous. And I have not been able to find anything in the 50 year history of this group that indicates that at all. So, um, that just take that forever. It is. And now if somebody else does some research and finds something that indicates otherwise, by all means, send me an email. Um, but I can't find it. So these seem to be peaceful people that are just trying to, you know, not be within the clutches of colonial America. And you know what? I don't blame them. 
I really don't blame them. So guys, thank you so much for sticking with me. I know it's not as fun when Peter's not here. He does all the fun voices and I am not really a good solo host. I never really wanted to be a solo host. When I started this, the whole premise was to interview people. I'm much more of someone who just wants to have conversation and learn things from other people. Not, I'm not a newscaster. So I appreciate you guys for sticking around. If you have any interest in supporting our little show and we do get some really amazing guests, let me see if I have any indication as to what's coming up because Peter is the person who books guests. So I don't even know if anything is on the calendar right now for next week. I don't see anything, but Peter and I will be in DC on Wednesday, uh, May 3rd for the, um, the Assange event for World Press Freedom Day. And so we'll probably just do our show from up there on Wednesday. I don't know what he has in line for Monday, but if you guys are so inclined and you want to support the show for as little as $5 a month, you can support us. We are small but mighty. We get amazing guests. I will say that. We've had some amazing shows. Check out some of our clips. And what we do is community service. So all the money goes to our nonprofit. We do service and we donate to other local service organizations down here in South Florida. If you do $5 a month, you will get the Lulu sticker, the generational change Lulu sticker. Uh, for $10 a month, you will also get our Putin, our mansion, Putin, our mansion parliamentarian bumper sticker. This one is very crinkly. You will get a non-crinkly one, a new one. Um, and for $25 a month, you guys will get the generational change. Here comes the sun jersey. It's really, really cute. Um, and, you know, look, all of the stuff that we're doing is really with the mission of transforming politics into service, um, educating people as much as we can, because I recognize that it's not easy for most people who just think that turning on, you know, CNN or MSNBC or Fox, they just think that's news and they just sit there with that on and they feel very well informed. And I feel like it's very important um, for us to to educate people. And that's what we're trying to do, provide a good, well-rounded amount of information. For those of you who don't know, we've started um, a Thursday night show that is called the Gen Z Report. Uh, tomorrow night, it's going to be a great show. They're going to be talking about trans justice. And uh, I, we actually have a friend of mine who's going to come on who is somebody in the trans community that is very, very familiar with um, the issue of athletics and being an athlete and being in sports and has a lot of information about ways that can easily be done to be fair and just and inclusive. Um, so we're, they're going to get to talk to her and it's just going to be a really interesting conversation. We're going to be introducing a new member of our Gen Z report and you guys are just going to get to see a nice rotation of young people really talking about what matters to them in a way that we all need to understand. The majority of people that watch my show tend to be my age and or older. And I think it's important that we really start passing the baton and incorporating. And just like what we were talking about with um, Bacardi and Mona Lisa, the idea of mentoring is so, so important. And I feel very uh, passionate about that. It's something that I take very seriously. And people who have ever worked with me, either on a campaign or have participated in any of the activities we've done, know that I am generally surrounded by Gen Zers and that I, my goal is to properly train them so that they can do this job and then I can go retire and live with my dog in the mountains because that's what I really want to do. So... If you don't, well, yeah, if you, you're right, you're not, un, you're uninformed. If you do, you're misinformed. It's true. Misinformation is just as bad, if not worse than uninformation. And we fight it on a constant. 
And that's why it's so important to get these kids, the younger that they are, and pass the baton and really teach them the stuff that they need to know heading into this, like, you know, the white oligarchy capitalist empire that they're heading into that wants to eat them alive. So basically the Gen Z report, Thursday nights at nine, the format that the kids have chosen is they're going to pick a theme for the day and then they will cover the news stories that in, that are in the realm of that. So it's going to be current events that focus on a particular issue. Tomorrow will be trans justice. I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, and I'm hoping to get a variety of, of thoughts on it. I mean, yeah, the kids who follow me tend to definitely be much more on the left. That's true. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't. Yeah, but we'll see how it goes. I think it'll be interesting. I will not be in the studio. I'm actually letting them be in the studio. Uh, and so I won't even be on screen. So we'll see what you guys think, how it goes with them. I think CJ is doing a great job at moderating. If you guys haven't checked it out. I would love for you guys to check it out, support these kids, see what they're doing because they're coming up with, they're producing, they're doing their own programming and they're, they're really making it happen. So it's really amazing. And um, that's basically it. That's all I got guys. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back. Um, Peter and I'll be back on Monday. Uh, he will be, yeah, he'll be back in the studio Monday and uh, he'll, we'll have something fun planned. So thanks guys. Peace out. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.